Our sermon text today is Psalm 12, and before we read that psalm, we'll pray. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we now come to the time of studying your word, Father, as I seek to be the one who would teach your word to your people here, I pray, Father, that you would bless your word to us. May we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are understanding and obedient. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 12. It's entitled, To the Choir Master According to the Sheminith, a Psalm of David. Verse 1. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbour, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Amen. May God bless his word to us. If you're anything like me, recent events would have somewhat blindsided you. Um, You didn't see this coming. I certainly didn't. I was willing to accept that Australians with their obsession with partying, with feeling, with sort of the feel-good attitude of our nation, with um, its obsession basically with um, being light-hearted and taking nothing seriously, I was always willing to accept that um, they would quite happily party themselves to hell. What I never saw coming was that government in Australia and the media in Australia would at the same time assume total control. I never saw it coming. I never really expected to be in the situation that we're in at the moment. I kind of thought they would just happily um, skip along the pathway to hell and um, leave everyone else alone. But they obviously had no intention of doing so. You would think that technically, as evangelical Christians are now what is in this nation called a minority. I mean, we're a minority group. We're a minority faith. We're a minority religion. We're a genuine minority. You would think that they'd basically just ignore us, leave us alone, let us get on with our lives, not trouble us. But, no, they... um seem to be after us and they seem to be willing to set in place one rule for some and one rule for others and um, basically as far as they're concerned you will comply and you will agree with everything we have to say and you will only speak that which we consider to be the approved truth there was a There was a theologian apologist back in the 70s you might have heard of or read something by a guy called Francis Schaeffer. He had a little phrase. He used to talk about truth and true truth. And what he was getting at is that true truth is the actual truth according to the word of God, according to that which is revealed by God. And truth is sort of um, of something that's a little bit, a little bit like vapour. It's what people are willing to believe is true. It's what might be considered to be cultural truth at any given time, but it's not true truth, that which is according to Scripture. And um, there is a truth war going on out there in Australia. The liars have basically won, at this moment at least, they've won, as it were, the truth war in the hearts and the minds of Australian people. It's just amazing. Um, Probably once a day in our house, we'll be sitting to have a meal or whatever. We sat to have our dinner last night 
And I looked at those with me and said to them, Can you believe that we live in times like these? Can you, can you believe the way this nation has gone? Can, can you accept this? Now, I'll admit here, I'm going to admit a tiny little flaw in my preparations. I meant to research something so I could give you the correct dates, but I can't remember it. I forgot to do it. But I know I'm going to come pretty close. Around about 1979 or 1980, the uh, then Hawke-Keating Labor government had come to power. They'd taken a massive um, victory in politics. They had control of both the lower and the upper houses. And um, you would think that they could have passed any law they so desired at that time. Just ram it on through. And they put in legislation, some of you, you know, might be old enough like I am to remember it. Do you remember that they tried to legislate and bring into being a thing that they called the Australia card? It was an ID card. It was an ID card that was going to facilitate a large governmental database in which they could join your medical records through your Medicare number, your taxation records through your tax number, your um, driver's licence, wherever it might have been issued by any particular state government, and pretty much any other, any other thoughts that they thought were useful, pension numbers, etc., etc. And all of this was to be brought into one single central database and um, you would have your Australian card, which Australia card, which was going to be a photographic ID, and this would make government and administration so much more efficient. You remember what happened, the few of us that remember the days. This government that had just won a popular election and had and had power. Well, literally Hundreds of thousands of people protested against the Australia card in every major capital city. People actually who had voted that Labor Party in still protested against their plan to bring into place the Australia card. And I remember the signs. No documents. No Gestapo. Thousands of people marching down the streets. No documents, no Gestapo, um, no mark of the beast for us, no internal passport. There were Labor voters, there were Conservative voters, people, as I said, who had voted for that government were protesting in the streets against the Australia card, feeling that it was an incredible enroachment and attack upon what they considered to be the Australian way of life and Australian freedoms. And guess what? The government of the day got scared. And they looked at each other and said, well, we were pretty popular before we started with this nonsense and we could probably find other ways to do it that aren't quite so upsetting to people. And we'd better back down and just drop the plan and pretend that no one ever thought of it. And that's what they did. And it disappeared. It was gone. The legislation was buried. The media turned off. Finished. Gone. And now we live in this nation where um, people shouldn't be doing things that they normally do every other day. I live 30 miles from um, my son, his daughter, and my firstborn grandchild, and I think the fines are over $1,000 if I pay them a visit. They haven't got COVID, I haven't got COVID, and I'm not supposed to visit. If churches and Christians were to gather and congregate and sing songs and sit under the preached word of God, the fines are ridiculous. Everywhere I go, I make sure I've got a mask in case someone insisted I'm wearing it. I wouldn't want to uh, wear one of those fines. I hate wearing it. I hate complying, but I've got to have it. Everywhere I go in my work during the week, if I don't have it, they tell me to go back to the cab of my truck and get it. We've all got phones with apps. We log into everywhere we go. Every step tracked. Or at least we at least give them the appearance of logging into everywhere we go. Every step tracked. 
The government passes rules through decree. I thought we were a parliamentary democracy. And I thought that laws were passed through legislative processes where people got a chance to write letters to their local members, etc., etc. But those who govern, the um, big sisters, they just decide. At three o'clock, they say, well, what rules can we enact today? And at five o'clock, they get on the news and tell you what you are allowed to and not allowed to do. And with regards to that which is heard by the most people, with regards to the loudest noise, with regards to um, who is communicating the most information to the most number of people, if you believe everything you hear and read on the free-to-air press, on the free-to-air TV channels, on the free-to-read news services, news.com.au, the newspapers, etc., etc. If you believe them, I'm sorry, you are a naive little fool because they're lying. Statistics are being cooked. The books are being cooked. I spoke to a man. I've known him for quite a while. We see each other at work on and off, sometimes loading and unloading in the same places at the same time. He tells me that his wife died within a very short period of time after having received um, the double jab. Let's call it that, the double jab. I hate calling it a vaccine. I don't think it's a vaccine. She was, he, look, he's, I never asked her age, but I know, I, I know that he's at least 10 years younger than I am, which would put him in early 40s. I imagine that she would have been in somewhere around about the same age group. She died a very short period of time after getting the second of the double jabs. And her death certificate says she died of heart failure, heart attack, something like that, heart problems. She had no history of heart problems. I mean, you could almost believe it if a person had been getting treated for the last 20 years for heart problems. But she hadn't. So the books are being cooked. It's as simple as that. If you consider the limited number of people that I personally know and deal with, and I find one example of the books being cooked, expand that percentage out over the nation, and you see that people are having their ears filled with lies and they are believing the lies. Furthermore, they're getting very, very angry at anyone who would dare to say, I don't believe the lies. I don't believe the narrative. I don't believe everything I hear and see on the news. I don't believe what the politicians and the bureaucrats are saying. Our nation, our state, has been divided. It's gone almost insane. I know a pastor, had a chat to him during the week. He's the pastor of a church in a city. He was the junior pastor. But, you know, he's a faithful man and another church in that city called him to come and be their senior pastor because their pastor was retiring. He went there, he was interviewed, went through all the process, he preached, etc., etc., all of that, and the call was confirmed, and he put his resignation in at his current church, started to make all the preparations to move across city, to go to his new church. Out come the government rules and regs. No church services for more than 50 people. No singing in church. And then um, what I would call a particularly beastish regulation. No churches for anyone who hasn't been double jabbed. No churches for anyone who hasn't taken, who hasn't received the double injection. 
And he was troubled, as we are troubled, as I am troubled. And he thought he'd better get in touch with the church to which he was going and just ask them what their attitude was to this because in his own mind this was wrong. This ought not to be done. This was against the word of God. This was introducing a worldly distinction into the people of God. And so he asked them. He tells me the conversation very quickly went bad. That the elders of that church very quickly decided that he was some kind of right-wing conspiracy theorist nutter. That as far as they were concerned, anyone who doesn't want to get the double jab ought not to be in church anyway. And um, he realised that he was not going to become a pastor or the pastor of that church. And he's now in limbo. He's resigned from one and he doesn't have one to go to. People who believe lies get very angry when people challenge the lies that they are believing. In Australia, our churches have for too long been able to comfortably compromise. And to be honest, I wish we still could. I do. I, if, if, you know, if, if the government sent us a message saying, uh, we're just going to leave the churches alone, grant you an exemption and let you go back to worshipping on Sundays and, you know, you are, after all, a, a faith-based minority and we don't want to be caught discriminating against minorities. Just off you go and keep your mouth shut and just you go to your church and you can preach there and you can worship there and take your chances. I'd be, you know, why get involved in the political fight? At least we can still meet. That'd be a thought that'd be running through my mind. I'd, I'd, I'd admit it. But you know the thing about bullies and being bullied. Nothing's ever enough. And eventually it always becomes about compliance. Bullies get off on making people obey. And knowing that they're forcing someone to obey who does not want to obey actually makes the bullying more enjoyable. It feels like a greater expression of power. And so they're not interested in a show of compliance. They want to know that there's compliance. They want to um, keep hitting us over the head with new rules. Just keep hitting, keep hitting, keep hitting. And you say to someone who's being bullied, this person, this bully, these bullies, they keep hitting you and hitting you and hitting you over the head. Why do you let them keep going? Well, the answer that we seem to get these days is every now and then they stop hitting me for a while and that is a great relief. And then they just allow the bullies to start all over again. Keep hitting. The liars run the nation. The liars run the nation at this moment. In political terms, the liars run the nation. Who really runs the nation? Well, I'll tell you who really runs the nation. God runs the nation. The Lord Jesus Christ is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. The scepter of righteousness is in his hands. God runs the nation. So then you've got to ask that question. Why are things like they are? If God's running the nation, why are things like they are? What's happening in this nation? Well, in your Bibles, open to Second Thessalonians. And let's refresh in our minds what we had read earlier. Now, I'll say that it is typical to read this as speaking of the end of the ages and of the return of the Lord Jesus himself publicly, openly, for all the nations to see. And that, I believe, is actually the gist of what the Apostle Paul is getting at. But always remember that John wrote in First John that even now there are many antichrists in the world. And the warfare between good and evil is always going on. 
and what that war would look like is always going to be the same. So even here and now, we should be able to find application in what we're about to read. Reading from verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11. Therefore God. Read it again. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. My friends, if we're not looking right now at the end of the ages and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, at the very least what we're looking at is potentially the end of what we would call Australia, the end of Western liberal democracy. We're looking at the end of a society and of a nation that once would would have openly called itself Christian. And so, whilst perhaps the lawless one has not come to New South Wales, lawless ones have certainly come. Now, they love laws. Just remember, these people love laws and they love imposing laws. But this isn't about man's laws. The description lawless one is referring to their relationship to God's law. We have a premier, the big sister. Remember, we voted for her. Not so long ago. When I say we, I mean we. I imagine most of you here, we voted for her. She was saying all the right conservative stuff. Remember, she was. She seemed pretty good, practical, pragmatic. She was saying things we wanted to hear. But you remember less than a month after she won that election, that she allowed a private member's bill from her own side of the parliament, which basically granted to New South Wales absolutely unrestricted access to abortion for any reason whatsoever. And the question was asked because she claimed to be a Christian. What's this all about? Do you remember her answer? If we don't have abortion laws there will be no equality for women. This is the same person who's hitting churches over the head with rules and laws. Apparently, she hates God's law. Apparently, she hates that which God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You shall not commit murder. She hates those laws, but she loves her own laws that come according to her own ideas. And of course, she always appears with her um, false prophet, two big sisters, off on a mad, crazy power trip. And I'm telling you, they are lawless ones when you measure by the standard of the law of God. They love the laws of men and they love or the laws of mankind and they love the fact that they have the power to wield the laws of mankind. But when it comes to the law of God, they hate it. Wicked deception for those who are perishing, verse 10, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. When you're in a nation that has been, as it were, penetrated by the gospel, where churches have been open for 300 years, and I'm not saying every single church was faithful and I'm not saying every single man who ever stood behind a lectern or a pulpit was preaching the true gospel, but the simple fact of the matter is, in Australia, 
we have been, as it were, evangelised. The gospel has been preached. The message has been heard. And furthermore, it has come with the blessing of God's Holy Spirit so that all who hear it know that it's true, even if they refuse to accept it and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, to quote the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 1. They refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be contemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If Australia was a theme park, what would you call it at the moment? You know, you've got Dream World, and you've got Movie World, and you've got Sea World, and Sydney's Wonderland. What would you call Australia if it were a theme park? I would call it Strong Delusion Land. For the people are under the Strong Delusion. They've refused to love the truth. They are now governed by lawless ones, and they are under a strong delusion, believing that which is false. Why? Because they refused. They hated the gospel. They hated the message of repentance. And so now we live in this nation, dominated by, ruled over by liars, pretenders. The most um, senior politician in the land claims to be a Christian. Morrison. Claims to be a Christian. Well, I'm glad that at least he pays some lip service. But I see absolutely no evidence whatsoever that that man thinks like a Christian. That he has brought his mind under the authority of the word of God. So that we could actually truly believe that he was a Christian. He appears to me to be a weakling doing whatever he is told by other people. Who are those other people? I don't know. Don't claim to know. Psalm 2 tells me that the wicked plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together. Well, there's a lot of plotting in vain going on. There's a lot of rulers, a lot of um, people setting themselves and there's a lot of rulers taking counsel and plotting together. They've taken power unto themselves. I don't believe they have any intention of ever letting it go. We're always being told about the new, the new variant that's just around the corner. And then, of course, if ever somehow or other they manage to stop scaring the life out of people with that, they'll start scaring the life out of them with something else, some new disease, some new virus, whatever, whatever. Our nation lives under and seems to love lies, it seems to hate the truth, it appears that we live in terrible, terrible times. Like Elijah did. Like Elijah did. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. I, even I only. And here we have David, King David, king of the covenant nation of Israel. They have the temple, they have the priesthood, they have the word of God, they have the ministry of prophets. And look at how he starts to pray. Verse 1 of Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one has gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. The godly one. There's an alternate reading there. When I say alternate, it's not as though it's um, in any way controversial. It's just a different way of putting it. Save, O Lord, for those who keep covenant have gone. The covenant keepers have vanished from among the children of man. Those who keep covenant, those who keep covenant with God, those who obey the word of God, those who keep promises, those who are worthy of trust, those who have some kind of 
character. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. When might he have felt like that? Well, I could think of a couple of examples of when he may have felt like that. How about when his son Absalom returned in rebellion from having been sent away from the land because he was a murderer, murdered his own brother. And um, we won't turn there. I'll just read you 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom turned the greater percentage of the nation aside from following King David to following himself. Apparently, he was a tall, very good-looking man, had amazing hair. Amazing hair. Such amazing hair that he would get it cut once a year and they'd weigh it. Amazing hair. And the nation followed after him. There was warfare. There was bloodshed. Many of David's friends turned away from David, followed after David's son. Save, O Lord, for the covenant keeper has gone. Who can I trust? Who can I trust? Lord, save us. Who can I trust? There is no one whom I can trust. There's no one. There's no one that I can lean on. I'm alone. I, only I, have been left. In other words, or perhaps another occasion would have been when David was very near the end of his life. Now, the throne had been promised to Solomon. It had been prophesied that Solomon was to come to the throne, but apparently many of David's people, many of David's um, officers, heads of departments, we'd call them, weren't so impressed with Solomon and they thought that Adonijah ought to become the king. We'll have a look at that one. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5. Reading from verse 1. Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms, that the lord my king, sorry, that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. Verse 5, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab. Now, I'll just remind you, Joab had been the head of David's army from the time that David had become king. There'd been some ups and downs in their relationship, but Joab should have been David's right-hand man. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and Abiathar, the priest, same story, Abiathar had been David's priest from the time that David had been in exile. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen and fattened cattle by the serpent stone which is beside Enrogel And he invited all his brothers, the king's son, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. Set himself up to be king. Set himself up to rule. And some men who really should have been at David's right hand and really should have known better and had been amongst David's most important servants all of David's life went after his son. It would make sense, wouldn't it? David prays, Save, O Lord, for the covenant keeper is gone, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Next verse, Everyone utters lies to his neighbour with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Liars. Liars. Where are you going, Joab? Just out for the day, not doing anything in particular. Oh, right, okay. And suddenly there he is down there having a feast with Adonijah. 
Long live King Adonijah. Liars, flatterers, smooth talkers and a double heart they speak. Notice these usurpers of power. The light's always just up ahead. Just another bend in the tunnel. And you'll have your freedoms back. But then there's always a reason why you can't have your freedoms back. Too many people have got the disease or not enough people have had a double jab or whatever it might be. Flatterers, double-hearted people, saying one thing to some people and a different thing to other people. The kind of people who would have one rule for someone and a different rule for themselves. And isn't that the world that we live in at the moment? One rule for someone else and a different rule for us. I've only been thinking about it the last few days. You know that I never make a big fuss and song and dance about Christmas. I've just about got the feeling that it's time to have a public Christmas Day service because I've got the feeling that they're going to try and tell us not to. And when they tell us that we can't, well, maybe then it's time. Who knows? I don't know. And whilst they're telling us that we can't have Christmas and that our family can't gather with us in our homes, I'll bet you, I'll bet you they've got their seats booked on their private chartered aircraft to go to luxury resorts with their families to celebrate their Christmas. Double-hearted speakers. But you see, they're special. They're the elites. They're born to rule. They know better than us. They know what's best for us. Therefore, they're doing it for us, for our benefit. I'm doing it for your own good. Evil, evil, selfish, wicked people. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that the scripture tells us that the devil himself can appear as an angel of light. The most evil people the world have ever seen have always said that what they're doing is for the greatest good for the most people. Every mass murdering dictator has always claimed that what they were doing was the greatest good for the most people. We're strengthening humanity. We're lifting our nation out of the dark ages. We're protecting them from foreign invaders, etc., etc., etc. Well, now we're stopping you catching a disease which has a 0.25% fatality rate in this nation. And when you take the over 70s and the obese diabetics out of that, you get a number that's under 0.05%. We're protecting you from that disease. Really? Do we need this much protection? In all honesty, And where were you for the last 20 years when every year's flu season had similar death rates and took similar numbers of people out of the picture? Where were you then? Why weren't you trying to save the world back then? And the flow of information of our political leaders. I've already mentioned the mass media. Channels 2, 7, 9 and 10 here in Australia. Free-to-air TV networks. Have you noticed something? They set the agenda. They're setting the agenda. The cultural power is with the TV networks at this moment. What they say goes. If a politician's going to be brought down, the only possible way they can be brought down these days is to get the media to turn on them like a pack of animals. Then they'll be brought down. You want to see the big sisters put in their place? Well, the way Australia's working at the moment, the TV networks have to turn against them. But that's not happening because they're walking hand in hand. They're all saying the same thing. Now, when you get a whole lot of people saying the same thing, there's two possibilities. Either you've got a whole lot of people who are eyewitnesses of certain events and so they're telling you the same thing or basically the same thing because they all saw the same thing. 
That's one way you get people to agree. The only other way you get people to agree is when they agree to lie. Especially doing, are you familiar with the phrase gaslighting? Especially when they're gaslighting on the scale that they're gaslighting these days. Do you know what gaslighting is? It's basically manipulating a person by continually telling them that something is a certain way until the person starts to think to themselves, I must be the idiot for not believing this, which apparently everybody around me believes. That's gaslighting. And the politicians and our media in Australia today are gaslighting to a whole population. I mean, have you gotten, for example, a text? I got one from the government on my phone here. The text said that my appointment for what they're calling a vaccination had been made. All I had to do was to get to a certain place at a certain time and I would have priority and I would walk away from there injected. You see what they're doing? They want me to believe that they know who I am and that they know where I'll be and they want me to believe that they actually care enough about my health to do something that they're trying to tell me is beneficial to me. They were trying to gaslight me into going and getting this double jab of experimental stuff. And yeah, I'm getting a bit worked up, aren't I? Well, look at what David says, verses 3 and 4. And this is why, my friends, we've got to learn to pray through the Psalms. Okay. You see, there's there's soft-handed, nice middle-class Christianity. And it's here in Australia. And soft-handed, nice middle-class Christianity is the kind of Christianity that says to a pastor, if you disagree with mandatory vaccinations, you're a right-wing conspiracy theorist nutter. Soft-handed, nice, middle-class Christianity, where you don't say anything passionately on, or, 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 or um, you don't think any angry thoughts. And if something is stirring you up, there's a problem with you. And if something is um, darkening, as it were, your, your outlook upon the world, there's a problem with you. The only thing in nice middle-class Christianity that you're allowed to be passionate about is compassion. So, you know, they're on Facebook. I love my neighbour, therefore I got the injection. I'm a good Samaritan. I've been injected. And, yeah, I've seen it. I've literally seen it. I can turn you to the people's pages. Boasting, self-righteous prigs. Soft-handed little pretenders, circling like vultures, just waiting to swoop in on anyone who dares to disagree with them. You don't love your neighbour. Well, those kinds of people, to them, the book of Psalms is practically a closed book. They'll turn to a verse here and there that suits them at times. But to them... Christianity is a religion of niceness and love. Now, I'm telling you, be as nice to one another as you possibly can and be as nice to people outside the church as you possibly can. The gospel in itself is is all the offence that's needed. We don't need to be offensive on top of it. But um, they would tell you that nothing should make you angry, that nothing should get under your skin, that nothing should put, as it were, a stone in your shoe. But that's not reality, is it? That's not real life. That's not what the Christian life is like. That man I spoke of, whose wife is now dead, whose cause of death was deliberately recorded in an innocuous way. When I got a moment alone, first of all, I cried. And then after I cried, I got angry. And then after I got angry, I wanted to do something, say something. I wanted to pray. 
It's easy and obvious I should pray for that man and his now motherless son. And obviously I should be praying for my nation and I should be praying for my fellow Christians in the church. But am I supposed to, in the presence of God, in the name of Jesus, pray whilst at the same time pretending before God that I'm a nice, pleasant, shrinking flower of a little boy who would never feel angry about anything? You know, what's the, what's the value of that? God knows my heart. God knows every thought before I think it. God knows my every emotion before I feel it. What can I pray? May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. You could you could read that in a few different ways. You could imagine, you know, a knife. Off comes the front of the liar's face. But the phrase cut off usually means cut off in terms of kill. Strike down. When someone is cut off from the nation of Israel, they're put to death for their sins. May the Lord cut off the liars. Strike them down. May the Lord cut off those who boast. May the Lord cut off those who say with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Our lawless leaders who think they can pass any law that they desire. Things like unrestricted abortion. Things like euthanasia. Assisted suicides. Things like the travesty the assault on decency, the assault on God's law that is homosexual, pretend, fake marriage. They think that with their tongue they will prevail. Okay, God's word says one thing. You shall not commit murder. When a man lies with another man, it's an abomination, etc., etc. God's word says one thing. And they say, ah, ha, 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 ha. We now say this other thing and that which we say will prevail. God says male and female, he made them. We say God didn't make them and male or female, it makes no difference. Anything's legitimate. God says you shall not murder. And the Bible in many places speaks of the unborn. And speaks of them as people. People who can, for example, like John the Baptist, be filled with the Holy Spirit even from before he was born. Be a worshipper of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very unusual happening, but he was a person. He was a person long before he came out of the womb and took his first breath of air. He was a man made in the image of God. Oh no, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? We can cut. We can pass whatever law we want to. Most especially if it's in the name of equality. Equality. In the name of equality, you can slaughter babies. In the name of equality, that which is an abomination in the sight of the Lord can be called good and righteous. With our tongue, our words, we're defining. God no longer defines, we define. With our tongue, we will prevail. Who is master over us? Okay, why? Why do they want to turn on churches? Why do they want to limit churches? Why do they want to turn church services into some strange, nonsensical thing where nobody worships, where nobody speaks to one another, where... um? where only those who comply with government regulation are allowed to hear the gospel. You know, Jesus said, go and visit the sick. And they're saying, if a person has the potential to be sick with a certain disease and has not sought a remedy, don't go and visit them and don't bring them into your fellowship and don't speak to them. 
With our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? We rule over the church. That's what they're saying at the moment. We rule over the church. Who is master over us? Nobody, they say. They would tell you we're our own masters. But we know they're not. We know that they are the servants of someone else. Just because you can do whatever you want doesn't mean you're not a slave. And they're slaves. And so may the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, gives expression to what I'm willing to call righteous anger. The things that are happening in the world today make me angry. And how can I pray about these things in the presence of God? How can I bring these things to the Lord? Oh, the Lord has given me the Psalms. May the Lord cut off these flattering, lying people. May their violence fall upon their own head. They boast that they can redefine everything and with their tongue they will prevail. But I know that there is a God who sits in heaven and his vengeance is coming. The Lord is angry every day. The Lord is a righteous judge and he feels anger every day. You find that in Psalm 7. Psalm 7 verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends. Amen. May it be so. May it be so. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail, I don't care what they call themselves. I don't. I mentioned our Prime Minister likes to claim the name of Jesus. Well, I'm telling you, he better bear fruit in accordance with his words, because the Jesus whose name he claims, he sees and knows. And being in rebellion against him is no small issue. At verse 5, God speaks. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. God hears our prayers. God acknowledges the emotion that we bring to the bring to our prayers. This is an outburst from David. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. And those who say with our tongue we will prevail, let them be killed. May the Lord judge them. Let them die in their sins. Oh, how can you say that? You're a Christian. It's not nice. The Apostle Paul himself said that God makes some vessels for glory and some for destruction. If they repent, I'll accept them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. If I got the opportunity, I'd preach the gospel of salvation to them at any given time. But if they continue in their wickedness and in their rebellion, may the Lord bring their violence upon their own head. May they suffer the consequences of their deeds. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. My friends, the Lord hears our prayers. He hears us as we beg. He hears us as we cry. He hears our righteous anger. He knows. He knows. And he will come. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. In Christ. Where there is no safer place to be. In the hands of the good shepherd. Whose hand is held in the hand of the father from which no one can take us, where no shaking shakes us, where no breaking breaks us. We're in the hand of the Lord. 
We've been placed in the safest place. We've been placed in the hand of Christ. Always remember that. We're threatened. We're threatened. We could be doing or not doing. We're threatened. We could be punished for those things that we do. We could suffer for not obeying the narrative. They can't take us out of the hands of the Lord Jesus. They can't take us out of this place of safety. We could suffer in this world. But understand something, the Lord will arise. His people are protected. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. And surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. Like little chickens in the farmyard going to run back under the feathers of the hen. That's us and our relationship to God. He will place us in the safety for which he longs. Verse 6, the psalmist breaks forth in praise. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You see, the Lord has just promised something. He's promised salvation. He's promised that in answer to the prayer of his people, he will arise and place his people, in this instance specifically King David himself, in the safety for which he longs. And David says concerning this promise that I have received, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. What would that mean? Well, the highest quality silver, to get there, you have to get the impurities out of it. And the way they would get the impurities out of it was to heat it up very hot to the point where it would run like water. And um, over the surface of that superheated silver, you would see the impurities. And the guy would get a little, uh, like a scraper, scrape it off. Do that seven times. By the time you've done it seven times, you've gotten to pure, purified silver. The words of the Lord are pure words. When God speaks, his people are blessed. My friends, always run back to the word of God. Always trust in the promises of God. Just remember, we're in this game for eternity, not for now. If our nation falls around our ears, we're in this game for eternity. If the powers of this nation fall upon our heads, we're in this game for eternity. The Lord's words are pure words. They will be fulfilled. Every promise is kept. The shepherd always guards his sheep. Jesus often spoke of suffering many things, being put to death, being flogged, being beaten, families being torn apart, etc., etc., etc. And then he said, and not a hair of your head shall be lost. In worldly terms, you've just lost everything if those things happen. But you see, Jesus is saying, from the perspective of eternity, from the perspective of your life with God, not a hair on your head will be lost. Verse 7, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. I've heard your word. I know that you will keep it. I've heard your promises. I know that they are trustworthy. I know that there's a foundation that I can build my life upon. You will guard us from this generation forever. My friends, I can't promise good things to happen here in Australia. I can't. I can't tell you that the government is suddenly going to get wise and repent. I can't tell you that Australians are suddenly going to see through this strong delusion and refuse to listen to the liars any longer. I can't tell you that the church is going to be returned to that place of ease that I spoke of. Can't tell you any of those things. Don't know any of those things. 
I would like them to happen. I would like to have the simple and enjoyable life. I've got a grandchild. I've got other grandchildren on the way. I really want to enjoy my time with them. But I can't tell you that those things are for sure and for certain going to happen. I just can't. Not at this time. God has sent us a strong delusion. I don't believe that we're under the strong delusion. We're the people of God. We have light and we have life and we have the blessing of God's Holy Spirit and we look to Jesus and in Jesus we see our God revealed to us. We have the word of God. We're able to think God's thoughts after him, but our nation, our nation is under a strong delusion. And only the Lord God himself will bring us out from under it. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Verse 8, on every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Remember what I was saying, evil is called good. Vileness is exalted. On every side the wicked prowl, looking for opportunity to, to cause pain, looking for opportunity to cause suffering. Yet the Lord keeps his word and the Lord keeps his promises. So my friends, what can we say? Save, O Lord, for the godly one has gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Feels like the days in which we live, doesn't it? Everyone utters lies to his neighbour with flattering lips and a double heart they speak, and oh, they love the lies. They just want to hear the lies. But just remember, the promise of God is that he will arise, that we, his people, are to be placed in the safety for which we long, that his words are pure, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times, that he will keep his promises, that he will guard us from this generation forever. Think of that. It's funny. I mean, we're not going to live on this earth forever, are we? Well, we're not going to live in this earth as it is. There's a new heavens and a new earth, refurbished heavens and a refurbished earth, if you want to think of it that way. They're never going to get near us. They're never going to kill us in terms of our life that is hidden in Christ. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. We're guarded forever from the forces of evil, from the powers of the wicked one. They can prowl. People prowl because they want something. Wild dogs prowl. They can exalt vileness, evil, ugliness, horrible things. We're the people of God. Our security is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. My friends, the things that can be taken away from us are the things that we can't take to heaven anyway. The things that can be taken from us are the things that we couldn't keep. But the things that are eternal, the things that have come to us through Christ Jesus our Lord, they can't eat. Our eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord cannot be touched. And so they prowl and they seek to do damage, but they fail because the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. And our Lord, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he keeps them and he guards us forever and ever. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven in these days in which we live, let us never forget that you are our God through Jesus Christ our Lord and he is our shepherd and that we dwell secure in Christ, that the life that you have given us can never be taken away, that you are our God forever and ever and ever, not because of anything that we do, but because of your goodness, your grace and your mercy, your, shed, your steadfast love, showing mercy to thousands upon thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. Help us, Father, to always remember that you are our God, that we are safe in Christ. 
Help us, Father, to ever be drawn back to your word, to ever be drawn back to your promises. Father, every time the world would seek to discourage us, every time we hear bad news, every time the Antichrists proclaim their victory, strutting through the earth, saying, who can hold us back? Who can stop us doing as we wish? Heaven, may we look to you through Jesus, our Lord, at peace. And hear our prayer, our Father, as we cry out against those who do evil deeds, sowing death and destruction around about the place. Father, help us, we pray, to be faithful and obedient servants. We ask name. Amen.